if you've ever listened to a podcast or read one of my books and thought, I wish I knew if that was the right thing for my body, or how could I make that work with my schedule and responsibilities, I've got something for you. A new workbook by me coming out late spring. My Perfect Movement Plan, the Move Your DNA all-day workbook, is for your specific situation because you are going to finish writing it. When you're finished, you will have a guide to a personalized movement diet that nourishes your body in the ways that you need it to. My Perfect Movement Plan is available for pre-order now, and if you pre-order from the publisher, there's a bonus, a free ticket to an upcoming online workshop, Spot the Missing Micronutrients. It's a 90-minute class where you'll learn about five often missing movement micronutrients, and these are subtle movements of the body. In this case, we'll be looking in the shoulders and the hips and the feet that are often tied to pain or injury in those areas. In this workshop, I'll also show you how to supplement with exercise vitamins. I'm putting air quotes around vitamins and how to adjust your regular movement so exercise supplementation isn't as necessary. Pre-order now at mpmpbook.com. That's my perfect movement plan, mpmpbook.com, and you'll automatically receive a bonus class ticket. But wait, there's more. Um, I'm going to be drawing three names from these pre-orders, and these peeps are going to get a small group session with me to go over your perfect movement plan. So you can ask me questions, and we'll brainstorm your specific situation on a Zoom call together. I cannot wait. So head over to mpmpbook.com for all the details on the book and the bonuses. Read through the frequently asked questions, order the book, get the class, and then get moving. I'm so excited to share this workbook. It's the missing puzzle piece you've been waiting for, and it's so very actionable. Hello, I'm Katie Bowman, and this is the Move Your DNA podcast. I am a biomechanist and the author of Move Your DNA and seven other books on movement. On this show, we talk about how movement works on the cellular level, how to move more, and how to move more of you, and how movement works in the world, also known as movement ecology. All bodies are welcome here. Are you ready to get moving? Hips. As the great poet Shakira once said, they do not lie. So whether you are shaking them on the dance floor or if they are aching with each step, hips are the seat of so many of our human movements. They are, in fact, the very cradle of our continued success as a species right now. So I spend a lot of time thinking about them, and we will spend a lot of time talking about them on the show today. And I'm very stoked to have my colleague and soul sister, Jill Miller, as my guest today. You may know her as the author of The Role Model and the creator of Yoga Tune-Up. And if you follow her on social media, you may also know that a few months ago she had a hip replacement. She will be here to talk about that and to introduce her Three action tips for maintaining healthy hips. And you know, as always, I've got a few tips of my own. This season on Move Your DNA, we are getting to know the companies that make up our dynamic collective. And these are small companies whose work I admire, whose values are aligned with my own. The collective that supports this podcast include My Mayu, Soft Star Shoes, Unshoes, Earth Runners, and Venn Design. Later on today, we're going to learn more about Venn Design, maker of dynamic hip friendly alternative seating options. My conversation with Jill is bound to be a big one. So to keep this 
at a listener-friendly length. I'm going to skip my listener question as essentially this entire podcast answers a few of them currently in the bag. So without further ado, allow me to introduce Jill Miller. She's the author of the self-massage masterpiece, The Role Model, a step-by-step guide to erase pain, improve mobility, and live better in your body. She is a paradigm-shifting educator who focuses on the process of embodiment rather than results-oriented fitness. She is the creator of Yoga Tune-Up, and she designs fitness programs for gym chains, sports teams, clinicians, movement professionals, and humans at every age and stage of life. She's also the mom of two toddlers, and she co-owns Tune-Up Fitness Worldwide with her husband, Jill. Welcome to Move Your DNA. Oh, it's an honor to be here, Katie. I just love your podcast. Well, I enjoy talking to you in person, you know, and on the phone. So it's only right that eventually we record some of our conversation and talk about what we do. Although I do think the text chains are probably really where it's at. So maybe someday we'll publish those. You know, in fact, we're just going to end this podcast right now and we'll just add to the podcast transcripts. The long sleep deprived mother of small children, because I think we both became friends before we had children, but while we had these babies of restorative exercise, nutritious movement, yoga, tuna, (laughs) like these were our babies. We used to get together and talk about our babies, these movement programs, and then we had human babies. And then then it was just more like, here's a picture of my kid with underwear on their head. (laughs) (laughs) Look at how many sparkles she can get inside her eyeball. All sorts of things like that. Yes. So we are real friends, which I think is great. I mean, it's great to talk about work and what we do. There's not a lot of people who can always relate fully to so much of your experience, both, both of us being system builders, I would say, and mm-hmm. working with movement of the masses <laughs> and then and having teachers and certifications. Being and, in business with your husband. Right, right, mm-hmm, all right. All the things. Two kids, all the things. You might be the only person that yeah. I can have certain conversations with. So Exactly. We're going to talk about hips, though, today. We will leave our text chains to some other great blog posts in the future. Um, But I want to hear, because these are questions that I don't think I've ever asked you necessarily as a friend. So this is new ground for me. How did you develop Yoga Tune-Up? Ah, okay. So Yoga Tune-Up came out of, really, it's my own personal development of self-care and self-care movement strategies. So my original movement training was a combination of yoga and body work. So I started studying massage, started studying shiatsu massage when I was in college around, uh, I think I was either 17 or 18 when I went into that first open house at the shiatsu school. But I started doing work study out of curiosity. I had no business studying massage outside of a full load of classes at Northwestern University. But I walked in there and was the demo gal in the, you know, they do like a free sample and I volunteered. And it definitely was one of those things that changed the course of my life. And I ended up, while I was studying at Northwestern, studying dance and movement and performance performing arts. And yoga was always kind of the thing I did in the morning to make me feel good and to, you know, prepare me for whatever classes were up ahead. But I ended up going to spend my summers during college at a place called the Omega Institute for Holistic Studies, which is a beautiful retreat center in upstate New York. And it's there that I met my mentor. His name is Glenn Black. And he is a self-described 
uh, sort of rogue yogi. He's kind of off the beaten track, not somebody who was ever interested in fame and fortune as a teacher, uh, but he was a movement genius and a bodywork genius in 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 the, in the sincere definition of genius. I still have not found somebody who eclipses him in terms of creativity and being able to induce state change within a classroom, which, by the way, is one of the unique features of, I think, all yoga practice should be that you can uh, really host conscious awareness within parasympathetic states and do really cool things there. So he is just a master of that as well as hands-on modality um, or hands-on orthopedic medical massage under the tutelage of a physical therapist out of New York named uh, Shmuel Tatz, who has a system called body tuning. So it was many consecutive summers, me going to Omega and working in their sundry store, living in a tent and doing yoga classes with Glenn and also learning body tuning from him, which is the the hands-on, the massage modality. And it, I ended up assisting him in a lot of his, um, in his work. Then I move, I'm, I like leave all that behind. I'm done with college and I want to come to LA and be an actor. Cause that was really what I felt was my virtue was the performing arts. And these healing arts were just this thing I did on the side. And well, not on the side, they, they sustained me. And now that I'm a 46 year old looking back on my own developmental history, I understand that you know these were how I regulated myself because I'm had a history of being an anorexic as a tween and then bulimic in my uh, later teen and early early twenty years. So the healing arts really helped me heal. So when I got to Los Angeles, I got into the yoga scene out here, which was heavy in the Ashtanga vein and you know flow yoga, and I dove into this stuff. Eventually, I was in another system of yoga that had a very specific type of power yoga. And I started teaching at that studio and took their teacher training. But when I started teaching, what I found was that the power yoga stuff that I was currently you know, learning or doing wasn't what was coming out. What started to come out was the eye that I had developed under the mentorship of Glenn. And this interest in uh, joint mobility or joint movements. So it'd stop people in the middle of a class and be really discouraged with how they were doing an asana. And I would take them through these tune-ups that would help to improve their proprioception of their joints and get them to develop better motor control of that joint. And then we would dive back into uh, the practice. And eventually I started using tools. It's a much longer story, but eventually I started bringing therapy balls into the classroom because I wasn't a body worker, even though I trained for years as a body worker, I never got licensed, but I I knew that people could do this themselves. They could use self-touch to find these tissues that weren't cooperating with the the performance of a, a movement task. They could excite their proprioceptors And in the meantime, they'd feel great because they were also exciting um, certain parts of their autonomic nervous system. And so Yoga Tune-Up really became this hybrid of biomechanically uh, delivered movement information coupled with uh, self-massage to help people better map themselves and have a better sense of themselves to what I like to say, embody your body. And then the tune-up portion is me paying homage to Glenn and Schwell for teaching me body tuning. Mm -hmm. And that's where it is. So what's that time span that you just did? 
20 years? Uh, okay. I know. Sorry. Fast math. It's like 18, wait, 46 minus 18. Mm. <laughs> wow. So, okay. More than 20. Yeah. I'm 20, 28. I, I started teaching, um, right, right around when I was 18 or 19, right. even though I'd been doing yoga prior to that. Yeah. So this series that I'm doing on Movie Your DNA is really about action, and we're going to talk about hips. I, I wanted to bring you on specifically to talk about hips because you just had a hip replacement. Is that right? I had the total hip replacement on November 1st of 2017, so today we're taping it at the end of September. Yeah. So I'm almost at 11 months. Yeah, it's been about a year. Almost right, a year. so what is just... <laughs> well, I guess if we talk about your career, right, in movement, if we talk about that timeline, this is this is another phase of your movement journey. Yeah, definitely. Right? So so it's pretty new in your way of I was just I saw you on Instagram as you're writing curriculum, which you've been doing for a long time and how yeah. you look back and reflect on previous curriculums and what you want to add in now that you've had a, a new movement experience so that as a, as a system builder and someone who writes curriculum and books about movement, I too am often, as I have new experiences, you're like, oh, I want to, I want to go back to some of that old stuff and change some words and add moves and different things. So you've had a hip replacement. You've had hips of many different types for a long time. <laughs> And so I wanted us to talk about action items for keeping our hips well. And so I yeah. want you to give me, well, I'll, you can do three, I'll do three. We can go back and forth. And this could be something that you've been teaching over the last 20-something years or something mm -hmm. that you've now recently added. And if you want to mm -hmm. explain a little bit, what, what would be your first tip for people to consider for keeping their hips well? Yeah, well, I'm really encouraged by the process that I've went through with hip replacement in terms of preparedness and rehabedness. What I teach is prehab. What I teach is rehab. Like rehab and prehab are my life. That is what Yoga Tune Up and the role model do is they help you to prepare tissues for movement and they help you to get to know your tissues and to better you know, embody your body. So the stuff that I'm going to describe to you are things that I think uniquely kept me out of owie type of pain leading up to the surgery. The first tip that I have involves therapy balls because I feel that the therapy balls and how we use them give you a sense of the textures of your own tension. Mm -hmm. I have two different balls that are ball techniques that I think is helpful for people, either pre or post. And one is one that I would recommend to all humans, which is to use the gorgeous ball in your trunk to improve your sensing of how you breathe and the textures of tension in the myofascial interfaces of your respiratory diaphragm and the other respiratory muscles that really are the lining of your of your birthday suit. So I instruct people to if they don't have a cordless ball, which is a grippy air-filled ball, to uh, use a, some type of a, of a firm-ish pillow, but not a hard thing. You don't want to use a soccer ball. You don't want to use a basketball. You want to use something that has yield. So kids' balls, if you have a girdy ball laying around the house, are great. Nerf balls are great. You want something that has a little bit of girth and that you can deform with your own breathing. So when you lay down on the cordless ball, whether it's on your 
abdomen or your sternum or the side of your waist or the side of your rib cage, um, you'll immediately start to inhibit because that's what the ball's pressure does. It inhibits the area that is under under t- under touch or under load or under um, under shift from the device. And you can do a technique that we call contract relax to try to overcome the natural muscle bracing or the natural resistance to the tool. And you do that by breathing, holding your breath temporarily and contracting the muscles that are interfacing with the ball. And then when you exhale, what you'll find is that your nervous system will have temporarily unkinked or unlocked some of that unconscious muscle bracing. And you do that progressively. You breathe in, you hold your breath, you contract, you exhale. And there can be more artful ways of doing that, but that's sort of the basic thing. And what we do with that is, depending on whether you start on your side or you start on your front, you'd roam the ball, the gorgeous ball, into different areas of your trunk to try to mobilize the unknown tensions that or unknown inappropriate tensions between diaphragm and ribs and diaphragm and transversus abdominals. So that would be the first thing so that you can get a sense of your full cycle of respiration. So respiration should occur all over your trunk. And although it only occurs in your lungs, but the soft tissues that are responsible for taking a range of motion breath should result in movements both below the diaphragm and above the diaphragm. If they're occurring well, well above the diaphragm in the neck or collarbone area, um, which is our default, that's our sort of emergency default respiratory area, then there's other things to be done. But really what we're looking for here is what we call an abdominal thoracic breath. Because of the relaxed position. Um, Yeah, or... Because of the relaxed position, no, because neurologically, we're, we don't want to be in a heightened sympathetic state, but we want to be in a, an alert, relaxed state, which an abdominal thoracic breath will allow us to have that. And also a, a thoracic breath that's done in the context of a, a relaxed environment um, can help to keep the, the thoracic spine mobile as well. When your ribs don't move upward, you know, upward rotation and... Right inward rotation of the ribs, if they're not moving well, chances are that your thoracic spine is probably not moving as well as it can either. So the the thoracic breath gives us, is an indicator of unknown tensions in in that area of the body. A cordless ball is not going to come into play when you're, you got your rucksack and you're, you know, trucking up a 15 degree incline. You're not going to be pulling out the cordless ball and like breathing into it. You're going to be, you have your backpack that you're going to be using in that case. But what's interesting about the diaphragm and its shape, and you know, it's like a caster inside of your trunk. So you can breathe, you should be able to breathe in any type of position. I work with singers and opera singers, they get in very contorted positions and they have to produce a tremendous amount of clear resonant sound while they're in um, uh, affecting different emotional states. And like, there's so many different ways that the diaphragm, you know, uniquely serves our structure. And this is like, what I'm doing is I'm putting it in a Petri dish. I need to start right here. And, um, and what I didn't say is, well, what is this about preserving your hips? If I can get my 
tissues to become compliant while applying the Cordis ball, it's going to relax me. Um, the, the Cordis ball in and of itself is going to massage viscera. It's going to apply pressure that will stimulate the vagus nerve, both in my abdomen and in my rib cage area, different afferent sprigs of that nerve. And so that will help to calm me down. So that's helpful, especially if I'm experiencing a lot of pain. On a myofascial interconnection level, the respiratory diaphragm has two soft tissue crossovers with a couple of very powerful spine muscles. One is the quadratus lumborum and the other is the psoas. Now, the quadratus lumborum has a lot to do with the the relationship between the rib cage and the pelvis, as do the obliques, which are on top, which you're rolling all over anyway. And then the psoas is latching all the way down to the femur. So you have the psoas, which I'm sure you talk about on this podcast before, but the psoas is stitched, it's pasted onto the anterior longitudinal ligament of the lumbar spine and its discs. And the diaphragm has to cross over it in order to get to the spine via its crura. So when we're massaging into our abdomen, as you are with the cordis ball, or even into the rib cage, you're going to be affecting tensional pulls both into the quadratus lumborum and the psoas, which can help relieve some of the stress and strain that those muscles may be carrying because of your gait from a degenerating hip or knee, if we go, you know, even more south. All replacements, right, exactly. All replacements, yeah. Or all parts, all parts. Yeah, all parts, <laughs> all parts all the time. So that would be a, a way of both directly and indirectly mobilizing in a very soft mm. state of being that area, right? So we're getting motion and lotion into the interfaces between the diaphragm and the psoas and the diaphragm and the quadratus lumborum, both of which are helping us to navigate our footfall and our, our pelvic list as we're, as we're walking. Right. So if we're talking hips, I guess the big thing to remember is it's not all going to be in the hips that you want to move for, for healthy hips. It really ends up becoming a whole body situation. It's definitely a global situation. Right, right. Yes. Okay. Well, I was trying to come up with a tip that match the robusticity of yours. And the first one is, I feel like hips can really benefit from learning how to stand on a single leg yes. so that you're able to distribute your weight evenly over that leg. Yeah. From that, though, there's two things within that. That one requires that you're able to identify a vertical leg, which is one that doesn't have a slight knee bend, mm -hmm. or if you hyperextend, one that doesn't have that hyperextension. So some people need to straighten, some people need to bend, but to be able to find a straight leg and to be able to have that leg be vertical, which means the pelvis is going to line up directly over the knee, over the ankle joint as you look at the body from the side. From there... It would be the kneecap release. Can you relax the quadriceps so that the patella is not pulled up, which pushes back into the knee joint below? And from there, can you list the pelvis? So, Love it. So, but those two things, if you jump right to kneecap release or pelvic list, the intention of those are really so that you're able to stand on a single leg and for many people, use your the posterior and the lateral part of your hips more versus always yes. being on the front. And so 
That's just it. That's just it. Like, and to me, that is something that can be put into your standing work desk time, your standing in the bank line. There's also, you know, I'm to add more tips to this, it also requires that you have no heel on, on your shoe because you yeah. can't distribute that weight back. So it's basically all my books in a single move, which is can you stand on a single leg giving more work to the 360 degrees of the hips or is your way of standing on a single leg giving it completely to the knee or to the to the front of the hip the which, joint yeah yes and so that's my tip okay now your second tip oh my god i just i love it so much because it it actually echoes my second tip okay you put your hands up against a wall and your hands are a little bit wider than shoulder distance apart and this is so that you can recruit the serratus and also the erector chain, lots of things. I mean, every all muscles are involved here. This is a whole body isometric. You have your feet underneath your, your hips and you come into a partial releve. What's a releve? Oh, yeah. You lift your heels off the ground. Okay. A releve is a... It's a dance uh, term, right? It's a dance term right. of coming up onto, on point. Right. So it's just about a one and a half inch lift. So not much, but it's going to challenge lots of your proprioception when you do that. And so you push into the wall, try to lift the wall up and try to get your legs straight. What you were saying, standing on one leg. So you got your hand up against the wall and then you dorsiflex or not point, but the opposite of point, uh, the left foot without shifting at all. So you have loaded your body weight through that right foot. It's locked into the ground. And then you attempt to extend the left hip, meaning you bring your heel behind you, but it's not generated from the foot. It's generated from the deep, what I would call the deep goonie. It's like the deepest aspect of your tush, right? So you're extending that hip. It's not going to go very far uh, without letting your pelvis list or change. So it's an isometric. I mean, you move it to the degree that, and then you just lock lock it in place. And it gives you this moment in time for that transition within gait. And then you switch sides. This is hard to describe on a podcast. It really is something that's taken me um, about a month to learn just from my physical therapist alone. But um, I've been sharing it with my students and, you know, where people are just pouring sweat with this isometric. It's amazing. Yeah. I think that most people don't have their legs fully extended and that's not even hyperextended. Just like there's been sort of a slight bend to the knee put into almost 100% of fitness and movement recommendations, including anytime I do anything for a magazine, they will always edit in when I add, find this, you know, this vertical straight leg, they will always edit in, but keep a slight bend in the knee, like to the point where I'm like, right. that doesn't even make sense. Like, yes. What, and yes. it's just this, it's like this basic protect, keep everything soft and slightly bent. And as we really improve or expand the movement narrative to beyond you know, being at rest on a playing field or like as we know so much more about it, we've got this kind of old anchor to this old general guideline that is just to your point now being something that requires an exercise and therapy to get out of, because if not, you're never, you're never really loading 
your glutes and that hip extension and ultimately even your lower calf, right? As it's absolutely as it's belaying the rest of your body as it moves forward, you bend that knee and you just take, it's like walking without using very much tissue. It's walking without very much movement of many parts is what that does, Mm -hmm. which does not mean we all stand and lock and hyperextend our knees all the time. There's something between those two continuums. And that's what I'd like people to be able to find. My second tip is also we're going to stick with this walking theme. So we've got like using the balls to sculpt and like kind of expanding and understanding where you're holding tension, certainly in the hips, but in the areas around the hips. We've got learning how to distribute your weight, how to be able to stand on a single leg and then move from that point. And we've got another way of finding that straight leg in an exercise. Once we have that, my next tip is again, going to be pretty simple for healthy hips, which is walking more, period. Yeah. Like not the walking exercises that are elements or these snapshots of elements to a stride or a gait cycle that you are actually logging in more steps that is passing you through moving all of the parts that all these exercises have just moved while you're not walking. Yeah. But that walking more is not only more steps, it's going to be using more of your body while you're walking, which is why the correctives and the footwear changes are so important. Because that, if you have already walked yourself in a way that led to the need for joint replacements, continuing to walk in that same way is not necessarily the best strategy, which is why I appreciate the front load of more learn how you're moving, you know, to kind of like play with the nuances before you add volume. Also, sometimes a way to move more of you is to move over varied terrain and to move at different speeds. Those are more natural ways of getting slightly different shapes in your torso Mm -hmm. and in all the muscles of your legs and your feet. Every one of those things, the terrain and the rate that you're walking actually creates a different, I use the term shape. Another way of explaining it is If you imagine every one of your light uh, muscles, the discrete muscles being a light bulb that's on a dimmer, movement is really, for every movement, there are lights that are brightening and dimming. So that's what's happening when we move. And so even though you have a particular gait, when you... And, and we would see the same lights come on and come off, come on and come off, come on and come off with every step. When you stepped onto unique terrain, including even if it's something as simple as they've played with textured foot pads inside of a shoe with like super teeny tiny little ridges, like things that you could barely even see that are just like little lines and bumps, you will get a different light configuration in your calves just by putting some slightly different textured insert within your shoe. So it doesn't even have to be hills or lumps and bumps or walking over roots of a tree. Your body is just constantly changing its light configurations, going slowly, going at a greater speed over the same terrain will give you different light shades. So that's what I mean by shape is that your movement diversity is not only sometimes walking differently on the same terrain that you always take. Sometimes it's as simple as taking different terrain. Okay, third tip. All right, so tip three is to learn how to create the diaphragm vacuum. And on the flip side of that, to also learn how to create what I call the tensional diaphragm. So in trying to understand this oblique relationship to your ilia, the rib to pelvis relationship, I like to go to 
deep levels of mobilizing the respiratory diaphragm, both in its elongation phase and also in its most hemispheric curvy phase. So the diaphragm vacuum is a stretch of the respiratory diaphragm that happens after you exhale. And you stay in a apnea, so you're, you're without air, and then you try to stretch your ribs apart as if you're taking a fake ribcage breath. When you take a fake ribcage breath when you don't have any air in your body, what happens is the diaphragm, because it's insert, or it attaches to the lower six ribs, which is a lot of ribs in your body, when you move your ribs outward, the diaphragm has to go along for the ride. And so it gets profoundly tractioned in its sphericalness. And that is a wonderful thing for, for maintaining the motion between your diaphragm and all the tubes that penetrate it, which includes your esophagus, your aorta, your vena cava, and the different nerves that tunnel through the diaphragm. Um, but it also, when you do that diaphragm vacuum, um, can induce the relaxation response, which is a great thing, but also it can tug-tug at that psoas diaphragm connection. It is a movement that really exemplifies whether you can click into a parasympathetic state as well. I have very few people that ultimately can't do this movement. And usually it's people who have overtrained their transverse abdominis. Um, sometimes Pilates professionals have a really difficult time letting go of the, the tension in their abdominal wall in order to do this, or people who have profound uh, high anxiety states or um, anxiety dysregulation. So it's a really wonderful tool to use to not only calm down your nervous system, but to move the lining of your birthday suit around without a ball. So this is something that I use every day to offload the pelvic floor temporarily. It will actually traction up your uterus and your bladder, and give your organs a little, a little hug. And um, it can be really helpful for identifying uh, tensions in your spine as well. So it's like one of my go-tos of, well, you know, how's this moving today? It can give me an indicator where I, where I might want to go in my, if, in my discipline movement practice. Um, or it might inform me of how my day was prior. Well, my tip would probably be, it's along those same lines. It's, it's generally the idea that your torso is holding likely way more tension than you realize. And that tension, because of the psoas major, because of the diaphragm, because of every breath, because of every step, is then creating load on your hips and your knees and ultimately, you know, your ankles and your lumbar spine that are highly repetitive. Mm -hmm. And so we're trying to diversify your ability when you do move, that you're able to move more of you. That's my perspective. And Jill, I think ultimately it's yours as well, that you're moving more parts, that you're, you're, you're getting more parts of you that are sticky or not participating. You're getting them moving. Right. So my, my tip is it's somewhat similar. We call it the diaphragm or the abdominal release. You get mm. onto your hands and knees. You let your head hang and you do the unthinkable. You let your belly all the way out and down. So this is a very non-technical, very accessible, very quick way to not only create the loads. I think that you're also, um, when you do this, 
you quickly tune into how much you actually hold in your stomach. Sometimes it's because you've been trained to keep your belly button towards the spine or you do exercises regularly. That's about kind of drawing everything in and upward, which then when your diaphragm goes to move down is now met with all the stuff that was kind of on the outside of your body is now had to move inward and then displaces everything that's in your abdominal contents upward or sometimes Mm -hmm. downward, which then Mm -hmm. pushes. That's where a diastasis recti, I'm talking about creating hiatal or inguinal hernias. Like we're moving internal stuff around by by where we're pushing and pulling our body. And in this case, the abdominal release is for you to turn all of that off. And when you turn all of it off, maybe you've been doing a ton of like hip extension exercises and you're trying to figure out how to get your hip ex- to extend more without realizing that how you hold your torso is part of that scenario. And so you're like constantly holding your tension in and also trying to stretch your leg in the opposite direction so it's like you're fighting yourself all the time so it's just it's one of our releases so you've noticed there's kneecap release and now there's abdominal release so you can go try it and then the goal isn't to keep your abdomen soft and relaxed all of the time because once you start doing more complex movements there is again there's going to be a whole volume of shapes that your abdomen is going to create based on what you're doing like again if you're carrying something heavy on your right side that's going to be one abdominal shape if you carry it on your left side new abdominal shape we don't want one stiff shape to just follow us around all the time but rather you want this kind of different lights coming in and coming off in your trunk musculature all the time But if you pretense with everything that you do, you don't really get that variety of shapes. So this is a way of learning how to turn off any purposefully or consciously, subconsciously held tension so that your abdomen can go about doing its job, which is to respond reflexively to the environment that you put it in. Then, of course, for your hips, again, see all the other things above, which is not just to get this nice, soft, supple core and then sit down in a chair with it all the time. Those two things don't work together. It's to get this super supple core and then move robustly with it so it can do its thing, which is to move all of your parts around, hips and knees and low back and neck and feet all included. Okay, so Jill and I are going to be taking... This is... This is the first time I've said this on this podcast, I believe, but Jill and I are going to be taking our healthy hips tips on the road, yes? You're still in? Oh, yeah, totally. So we are going to be co-teaching a dynamic aging, moving well with or without joint replacements workshop at 1440 Multiversity, February 1st through 3rd, which it's in the Bay Area, California. Beautiful. I'm excited because, you know, usually when you teach something, you're just like, teach, 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 you know, and then you rest. But since we're co-teaching, I can teach and then I can sit down and then move my own body not having to teach, which I'm thrilled about. I am so looking forward to, we've got a really great outline that we're working out for all the people that are there. And the privilege of actually getting to move my body under your instruction after, you know, before or after I share, it's going to be really cool. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I feel this is like a, a hybrid of work slash self-care for me, which again mm-hmm. is, is awesome for everyone. Even, even the teachers mm-hmm. need an abundant amount of self-care for and sure. to learn and to learn. Yes. And then you also have an event coming up this month. This will come out in October. So tell us about your hips immersion. 
I'm teaching a three-day hips immersion. It's a yoga tune-up hips immersion. My company's called Tune-Up Fitness, so you might find it online at tuneupfitness.com. And it's at the Yoga Works in Tarzana, which is in Los Angeles, California. And it's three days where we work from pelvis to feet. Although, of course, in my book, the pelvis is, you can't separate the pelvis from the abdomen. So, of course, we'll be using diaphragm technology, some of which I've talked about on our on my tips today, in order to open up this uh, point of view of paradigm shifting self-care fitness for anybody in attendance. And it's for anybody. We will have a lot of teachers and movement educators and clinicians in there, but it's also for people who just want to gain more knowledge. Well, you can find out more about Jill Miller at, as she just said, tuneupfitness.com. You can find all of her therapy balls that she mentioned, including the gorgeous ball, which I love, video products and books, upcoming workshops, all available there on that site. And you can find both of these tips, hers and mine, organized on the podcast transcripts page. Jill, thank you so much for coming on today. It's an absolute pleasure, Katie. Thank you. Okay. Jill, I'm super stoked you came on. As always, I'm interested in passionate people and their mission in life. We just heard Jill's mission in our conversation. My mission is to get more people moving and to get those people moving more of themselves. And I'm interested in shining a light on our dynamic collective companies in a different way. It's one thing to tell you like the names of their company and their websites and that I believe in their products, but it's a whole other thing to hear straight from the people behind those companies what their mission is, why they are so driven to bring to market the products that they do. Today, we're focusing on Venn Design. I love Venn Design. Venn Design are these really beautiful, they're stability balls, but it's not really that they're stability balls. It's it's really what's wrapped around them. It's, it's dynamic furniture. It's the thought that's gone into taking something that so many of us have cushions and balls around our home and changing their aesthetic by making them look more like furniture so that we end up moving more just in the context of our own home. So today I would like to welcome Tyler Benner to Move Your DNA. Tyler, welcome. Hi, Katie. Thanks for having me on. Okay. So I have many of your pieces of, I mean, I don't even know if I'd call them furniture, (laughs) spherical upholstered seats and cushions. I have them in my home. I love them. I love anything that allows me to add more movement to my space. And, you know, the more beautiful it is, I think the better it is, not necessarily for me, but for people who want their spaces to be both attractive and movement friendly. So at which point did making these items become a priority for you? Yeah. You know, I, I originally had the idea back in 2012, and that just means that I like drew some sketches on paper and was trying to think about covering a round object with fabric, uh, which I learned later on after uh, many trial and errors that covering a curved surface everywhere was, was a challenging prospect to do. Um, and then I just kind of dabbled with it and you know, I, I, I wasn't skilled uh, with a sewing machine. Like, I didn't really know how to bring my idea to life. So uh, I started talking with um, furniture upholsterers. And, yeah, there, there were several years where it kind of, like, bounced around in my brain and my heart a little bit more than I was actually a tangible thing. Uh, and then in 2015 was when the first Venn chairs were created. Uh, and 
Yeah, it went beyond trying to cover a round object with fabric where we really tried to turn it into a furniture item. And by furniture item, I mean to make it belong next to your sofa, to you know have some padding to it so that the, the temperature of it uh, is comfortable to sit on and have around you. And yeah, it, it went through a whole design and kind of transformation in 2015. I read on your website... Quote, originally inspired by stability balls, designer Tyler Benner set out to create a spherical upholstered seat. As his posture improved and his body began to change, his mind opened up. A whole new movement-centered design aesthetic. And so I love that you link the change in your body with the change in your mind. What did you make of that relationship? Well, for me, it, it also coincides with how I've changed my running. Uh, and at a similar time as to when I was creating then chairs, I was also trying to improve the, the shape and structure of my body. And that started some with correct toes, uh, which are some prostheses that you put between your toes that help your toes spread out when you're running and moving. Uh, and then eventually, through a man named Mark Kukazella and Lee Saxby, I learned how to run in sandals, almost you know barefoot of sorts. And it really started to open my brain up to different ways that the human body can move. And I started to you know, bridge all these ideas together in then chairs as well. And so I, I just was improving my posture. I was improving how force uh, moved through my body. Just And that was anything from standing, walking, sitting, and running. I started to see how they all met at some intersection point. And yeah, that, that to me was about... I don't know, dynamic stability. Now, you're an archer. I know that you're an archer, like a good one who's written books about archery. <laughs> you know, and so I know my own way of seeing the world, which is through force production, shapes, geometry, efficiency, movement. Like, I, I would say that all of those things are always kind of they're over my my eyes as I look through the world. I'm, I just state that they're what jumps out to me in the same way maybe someone who is a particular type of artist or a photographer might see the way colors and light are in a particular setup. I'm interested in, it seems that you and I have similar ways. You like to create things. I know you've created shoes and, 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 you, and systems, and so you... You're more of a builder of tools, and I would say I don't have that tendency. But why do you think that you, too, are interested in force and alignment and physical performance? Like, is there something at the base of all those things? That's a great question. One of the ways I would I would try to answer that question, it, 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 it's deep and expansive, I would say. But a simple way I would try to answer it is when you watch someone really skillful do what is very challenging motion, they somehow manage to do it with, you know, an economy of motion and an efficiency that it's perplexing to see how simple it can look. And then when you go to try to do that yourself, you know, you feel very disconnected. And so, you know, archery is a good example of connecting to yourself and to this kind of known position of center inside of you. And when you release the bowstring, there's two forces through your legs that are connecting you to the ground, and then the, the two forces through your arms, they, they all meet in the middle of you in this center, 
And your your job as an archer is to control this power and position of center so you have a, a stable base and platform. You can only do this at a skillful level when you've practiced this a lot. And it's growth from at first looking like a beginner where you feel disjointed and wobbly to, you know, eventually like gaining confidence and strength and clarity in your mind. Like the the people who are very skillful at, at sport, they have a better idea in their head of what to do, of like their brain can only think to do a certain motion because that's part of their routine. That's part of their their performance routine, you know, for archers, you might call it your shot routine. You know, but if you're on like the starting blocks of running a hundred meter race, or you're about to serve in tennis, you know, like you all have a particular kind of game plan that you need to run through your brain. So if you're not thinking the right things, you're not going to be able to, you know, create that virtuoso performance. Well, you essentially started a dynamic furniture company you know, one of the first kind of trendsetting, and you made it look fairly easy. <laughs> well, that's kind of you. Well, I mean, that's how it looks to me. You know, like, I think that anyone who does anything well, it always just looks so easy. And I don't think that anyone observing necessarily knows all the things that go behind it, right? Everyone's an overnight success. Everyone does things with ease. But like you said, there was many trial and error, many hours of practice usually logged on the back end, which are not cluttering the performance space. That is at least your website for your furniture. I feel like Venn Design was originally for yourself, but I feel like you too, because you are creating products and information, it means that you are moved somehow to inform or move others. So who is Venn Design for and why is that work important to you? Yeah, that's yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, you're you're right that I I've set out to be my own first customer. I guess like I'm trying to make things that I want around me and that I use at home, and they make me stronger and better. And as I've used that methodology in my life, uh, I've I've found success. And and then um, yeah, again, I'll talk about archery a bit here, but because I competed for, for many years, it wasn't until I uh, created this book and started sharing it with everyone that I also started to get this really positive feedback loop of trying to tell people about my experiences and then hear what they had to say about it or what they learned from it. Uh, and so, yeah, I just, I think there's this symbiotic growth uh, and be- between doing something and then sharing it with others and trying to teach it to them and then learning from their experience too, it's only going to increase your, your total depth. It's only going to increase your total ability to, to try to tackle a problem or solution. And I get so much inspiration from people writing back to me and sending in pictures or videos of the, the fun ways that they use VenShare or how it's helped them with back problems maybe at work or that they have more creativity or more energy throughout the day. Like that gives me inspiration and, and creativity too. So I'm just trying to create as much as I can every, every day. I'm, I'm, I'm pushed to go try and share more because I just draw more inspiration from that. Then. What's the most creative thing anyone's ever done with their chair? <laughs> um. I have some hilarious comments. I'd probably talk about animals. 
and you know animals have fun with with then chairs too and maybe they're jumping on them or they they kind of push them around with their heads or i love that then encourages play you know so i get p- pictures of people doing back bends or or bouncing um yeah my, my little niece and nephews you know they they love watching a movie on one or or just bounce around having fun i mean yeah that, i think that's the best the thing i appreciate the most about what you create is i feel like I have a particular understanding of what we call minimal to kind of be more maximal. Like I have got one of your spherical chairs, Mm -hmm. but if it was just this big office chair, it would just be like where I would sit down and work. And that's really all it would be. But Mm -hmm. I have this, this chair. And like you said, I can also like throw down a back bend. I can pick my feet up. I can kneel on it and like really do balance stuff, but my kids will grab it. And it becomes moved out into the living room with these other spaces. And it becomes, I mean, I could probably send you videos of maybe not how they're supposed to be. I mean, maybe there is no way they're not supposed to be used. but There, there is no way how they're not supposed to be used. Yeah. Right. That's great. Yeah. So they are definitely inspiring play in me during work time. But it also is one piece of furniture that takes up less space that allows more people to access and move themselves more and also to move more of their parts. So again, is that minimalism or is it maximalism? You decide. That's a great question. Yeah. I, I, I want to add to that of, you know, I was inspired by stability balls at first, except that what would happen is that either myself or friends who were using stability balls as a chair, when you'd have guests over, you'd hide it in the closet. (laughs) It like not it wasn't pretty. Ex- exactly right. They they just like don't belong in your environment or something uh, unless you're trying to exercise, and that was one of the things that I wanted to fix or solve. So, wanted to create a, a beautiful piece of functional furniture. I don't think when I was first creating them that I truly saw how much fun people were going to have with them, or that they would be as versatile as they are. Uh, and I, frankly, I, I'm still in the process of creating the the total vision for a space of like what what if your home is filled with furniture that is fun that you enjoy that makes you want to play uh, is good for your body like i think we're just at the beginning of creating furniture and objects around us that that actually make us better not just take up space yeah i agree and i think that that isn't i wrote an article not too long ago called do we need exercise equipment to move. And it was really just the idea that exercise equipment kind of signals your brain to move. But classic things in your house, whether it be a seat or even, you know, a belt for your outfit, these things signal rest time or sitting time or getting dress time, even though you could use that belt as a yoga strap. And so I think that what's important now is that we start to critically look at our environment. And that includes everything that you put yourself in, right? That's your clothing, the, the walls of your home, and start doing something very similar to what you did, which is by making a small, subtle change, a ball instead of a chair. But you you haven't just added, you know, like an kind of an ugly exercise plastic ball that, that stands out as it doesn't fit in your mind for the, the context of a living room. Simply by making it beautiful and aesthetically pleasing and looking like it fits in an office and looking like it fits in a home, 
you end up circumventing the part of your brain that tells you it doesn't belong there. Or in this case, that movement doesn't belong in your home. So I think that you've done this literally and figuratively in a beautiful way. And so I'm looking forward to what you're creating next. So that's my last question is what are you creating next? Yeah. First of all, I'll just say thank you to what you just said there because it was really beautiful as I heard you say it. And like, yeah, that is my vision and what I'm trying to create is exactly what you described there. Um, what I'm creating next, it's at an intersection of a lot of these ideas. And I'm making some floor pads so that it makes it a little bit easier to kneel in addition to our sitting cushion or, you know, depending upon the surface that you have at home, you know, if you have hardwood floors, it's pretty hard to kneel on a hardwood floor, especially if you're kind of a little bit new to this. And then in addition to that, I've really been inspired by textured flooring. And this isn't a, a product that really exists out there yet that, that I see, but I think there's a way for our, our flooring to have a lot more texture to it. And this makes our bodies stronger over time. But the, the various textured options for this today, again, are, are kind of industrial or, or hideous looking. And by the same token, making something more beautiful, you'll be less afraid to show it to other people or just have it in your daily life. So that way, five minutes of standing on some better flooring and your body is more awake and alive. I just believe that the objects around us all the time can actually be designed to make us feel better, be stronger, and be happier. I agree 100%, and I'm glad you are out there doing what you do, and I will continue to support you because you are filling a, a desperate need that we have. So Tyler Benner is the founder of Venn Design, and you can find out more about him and the products that he designs at vendesign.co. That's Venn, V-E-N-N, design.co. Tyler, thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks for having me, Katie. That is it for Move Your DNA this time. And if you love the ideas you hear on this podcast and you're an Instagram user, come find me over there. I'm at Nutritious Movement. I post regularly. I give a glimpse into a movement-rich life. And I try to... It's not really eye candy, I would say, my Instagram account. I really try to make each post instructional. Every once in a while, I just go crazy and just post like a whatever. But in general, I'm really trying to maximize both of our time, both as a poster and as a user. I am a proponent of practicing what I publish. So if you want to see photographic examples of my ideas in action and you are not an Instagram user, that's okay too. You can drop by just by going to instagram.com slash nutritious movement and you just browse. No, no, no need to join another social media platform. On behalf of everyone at Move Your DNA and Nutritious Movement, thank you for listening. And until next time, shake a leg. This has been Move Your DNA with Katie Bowman, a podcast about movement. Hopefully you find the general information in this podcast informative and helpful, but it is not intended to replace medical advice and should not be used as such.